1: Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Believe
2: it or not, sometimes it's harder for us to get small than it is to get big because sometimes you just want to overcompensate because there's just two of us up there. And so it's like, man, it's got to get big. It's got to get big. And we've figured out how to do that. And now I think half the time we're trying to figure out, all right, how can we be like really small and kind of chill? And then that'll bring some contrast to those really big moments. Uh, so that's what a lot
1: of us are about. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and Carolina Loreliz. My name is Lance Ingram and in this episode of yesterday's concert, illiterate light members Jake and Jeff talk new album, upstaging headliners, and friendship. Grab your earplugs because we're about to break all the rock and roll cliches. so excited to have illiterate light on the show today
2: hey everybody jeff gorman here i'm hanging out in harrisonburg virginia i play guitar and sing for illiterate light hey this is a uh, jake
0: cochran uh i'm actually just outside of nashville tennessee in old hickory and uh, i play drums and sings and backup
1: thanks guys i appreciate you being here so to start we're going to just do some fun little icebreakers just to kind of get comfortable get to know each other uh, so my first question you can answer as a group or you can answer individually since you are debuting your sophomore album in January, I want to kind of go back to debut album for just a second. What's a great debut album you heard from any artist this year?
2: In mm, twenty twenty two, man, I don't know if it was. Dang, that's a good question. My honest answer is: as I'm, I'm very out of the loop on modern releases. Um, I'm, if I'm just being blunt, um, I do listen to music that's kind of coming out and fresh but really not a whole lot. I always feel mm-hmm. like I've got more to explore in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um and like there's always stuff I'm diving into there. Uh, so I don't even know if it's their first release but um I have been digging all the stuff that Wet Leg has been putting out. I know they're pretty pretty hot right now but I watched their their tiny desk uh um, yeah. concert and was really digging their vibe um and so I've I've just been kind of, you know, throwing their music on while I'm watering the garden and stuff.
1: That was actually my answer. So, like, that's perfect. I love it. Okay.
2: Uh, so I was I uh, had to check to
0: see if either of these bands, it was their debut, and it's not, but they're both still like very much up and coming, pretty, pretty young bands in our uh just like how everything goes. But uh, this band Future Crib, um, they're a Nashville band that we we've played with several times. Um, has come out and toured with us a little bit, uh, and they put out an album called Full Time Smile. Which actually uh, as i pulled it up it was late 2021 so i'm already i'm breaking all kinds of rules here
3: we'll let
1: it slide we'll let it slide
0: (laughs) and then um one of our really good friends bands, twin t-w-e-n it's it's actually their second album that they just put out but uh, it's called one stop shop and uh it's it's incredible I, i i think they're one of the coolest rock bands out right now they're they're also kind of nashville based but they they live out of their van so they're floating all around
1: that's a good rex right there okay so next question uh since you are a duo what is your favorite duo band
2: we definitely both are you know have never shied away from the white stripes black keys side of things i mean we both really love those guys i mean it's it's funny because they're they're a they're a duo, but you know they also had full band stuff. But even like Simon and Garfunkel, I'm a huge Simon and Garfunkel fan. And so we got to see Paul Simon uh, play at Newport Folk Festival this year, where we were playing as well, which was a huge treat for us. You know, it's funny. I I, I honestly like there's a there's a couple uh, White Stripes records I don't know super well, but I'm I'm a big White Stripes fan, and I love listening to Jack White. Like I, I just think he's a really interesting and thoughtful and hardworking dude. So I, you know, I got no shame, just throwing it up to the white stripes. I'm
0: going to go with a flight of the concords.
1: Ooh, (laughs) that's a great choice, man. That's awesome. All right. So let's add a member. Who's our favorite trio. Ooh,
2: dang. Uh, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't beat. Yeah. You can't beat some of the classics, Nirvana, Jimi Hendrix experience. I've always we're both huge Mitch Mitchell fans, the drummer for Jimi Hendrix Experience. Yeah, you know, well, I'm I'm gonna throw it out to uh I'm gonna throw it out to Nirvana on that one for me. I mean, I yeah, the 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 Jimi Hendrix Experience came to
0: mind just as like the most classic badass rock trio. So I'll just go with the gut on that one.
2: Also, I gotta there. throw it. I gotta throw in the Police, man. Oh huge. yeah, yeah. We we like we tear apart the Police on the road.
1: We love those guys. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So what's a rock and roll cliche that you both think is awesome? Oh,
2: hit us with a couple of clues. I'm trying to think I, I'm, where my brain goes is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I guess a certain part of that is pretty awesome. I'm not, <laughs> he, we're not, you know, going too crazy into the drug side of things, at least not publicly. Um, but, uh, you know, I think they're, yeah. Jeff and I are both, if, if, if we're at a
0: concert, and we're, we're both very into just throwing up the, the rock and roll horns just with no shame and just standing in the front row and just showing that you love what's going on. Like, I, I remember Jeff and I standing and probably in 2015 or 16, we, we got to see My Morning Jacket play down in Charleston, mm-hmm. South Carolina. And it's one of both of our favorite bands, but particularly Jeff loves them and has seen them a bunch of times. And just watching him just no matter like what was happening, hand straight up in the air, rock and roll horns out just just living living his dream i think that's yeah. a pretty good one
2: absolutely yeah I, I was also thinking about there's that one uh fred armisen portlandia skit where he's like he's the drummer and he's like always joking with people like you front row you front row and it's like it's like <laughs> such a kind of like corny thing to do like on stage you know just like what's that front row and stuff but like I love, I love hamming it up like that and just like yeah just like jake said just like the purity of just like, put them up, you know, kind of Dave Grohl style.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so according to your social media, and even in the song Vacant Lover, you guys are a bit of donut connoisseurs, and you have sampled the great deep fried dough of the nation. What's, uh, what's been your favorite donut this year?
2: Dude, I just had my favorite donut of the year in Asheville, um, North Carolina, okay. last weekend. It was a spot in West Asheville. Uh, called it was just called Whole Donuts H O L E, and it was, yeah, Jake, your jump, your camera angle seems to be like naturally. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> it's kind of cool to be honest. It's just, it, oh, yeah,
1: I thought that was like a professional news we had going on, man. I was too. like, dude, keep it up, man. I, know,
2: I was like, man, that's a cool vibe. It's tracking your head right now,
1: yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome. So, anyways, uh,
2: <laughs> sorry to get distracted here, but yeah, man, Whole Donuts in, um, in West Asheville, North Carolina, was just like it was one of the best donuts I've ever had.
0: Um, I'm going to give a shout out to our Harrisonburg hometown heroes, Strite's Donuts. I think they're they're simple and they're delicious, and it's a it's an older Mennonite family that that just has a truck that pops up every couple of days. It's not it doesn't even seem like it's that well planned. It's just you got to know when you see it, you got to get it. So I'm, I'm Strite's.
1: Okay, so the last one's a little bit of a serious one, but I know you guys are pretty eco-conscious in how you do even your tours and just when you're at home. So what's one simple piece of advice you can give listeners to be a little more eco-conscious in their day-to-day?
2: You know, I always just think about starting small and doing something that is actually attainable. I, I was doing a, a Zoom um, with a with a college class the other day, and we were chatting about this. Um, and I was just sharing one one thing that my wife and I do around town, and it's it's something that we've established as a couple. We try to hold to it, but we're also really flexible. We don't beat ourselves up, but anytime we're going somewhere under a mile in town, we ride our bikes there, and I love that because, A, it, it integrates us into our neighborhood and our community. We're out. We're getting fresh air. We're Yeah. Just being healthy. We're also reducing the amount of cars on the road and, and fossil fuel usage. But that's like such an easy one that, um, I, I had seen a sign in 2012 in our town that was encouraging people to do that. And, um, and that was the first time I really started riding my bicycle more. And that led to so many things in my life. So I always kind of come back to starting with something really small and that brings some joy and is fun it tends to lead to a bunch of other things and it opens your life. So I, 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 I've liked that one. You know, if you're going somewhere less than a mile, ride your bike there. And most of the time you can get there faster than driving your car.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because I grew up in Mississippi where everything's a little more spread out mm-hmm. than just a mile in a lot of cases. But right. when my wife and I took a trip to New York and we walked everywhere aside from yeah. just, you know, going out of the borough or whatever, and it was just amazing how much more we took in the architecture, we took in the people, the shops. I mean, we just felt so much more inundated with the city because yeah. we were walking and taking it. I mean, granted, we were on vacation, so we could go a little slower. Yeah. But I mean, I, to, to your point, I mean, it really was our favorite part of the trip was just walking around the city. Yeah. So just echoing your point there.
2: And, that, and that's a big part of, and I won't go too you know heavy handed on this, but it's just a big part of the way that our country has developed, you know, it's like you go to Europe and stuff and there's people walk and bike everywhere because a lot of these towns were built, you know, a thousand years ago, 800 years ago, 500 years ago when the automobile didn't exist, but the, you know, like somewhere like in Oxford, Mississippi, and, and even further than that westward, um, the infrastructure of our country was built with the automobile in mind. And so, um, so things are really spread out, you know, and there's a part of that. That's amazing. And then there's a part of that that means you can't ride your bike or walk most places when you go outside the city.
1: Jake, do you want to add anything?
2: No, I think I'll just, uh, I like what Jeff said,
0: we're, especially living in Harrisonburg. We were both avid bicyclists, both for the environmental reasons, but also just, yeah, like Jeff saying, the community and the just kind of getting to know people. Ha- having moved to Nashville, now I'm in a neighborhood about 25 minutes outside of Downtown, and and I definitely like feel the like having taken for granted how easy it was to to travel in our small town by bike or by walking. It's like I've got a cool neighborhood I can bike around, and like a restaurant or something out here that I can go to. But there's it's way more of like yeah, fifteen minutes to the grocery store in a car. There's no alternative, and so I don't know. It's kind of like that's just the way that my life is right now, and I kind of wish I could bike anywhere, Um, but stuff changes.
1: Okay. So we'll shift gears and talk about the new album, Sunburned, that's coming out January 27th next year, 2023. So there's only two singles out right now, so I haven't been able to listen to it and love it yet. But tell me a little bit about the story of how this album came together. I mean, it's been three years since your debut came out, four years by the time the album comes out. So tell me how this album came together.
2: Yeah, it really came about through, well, we should also just mention really quickly too, that we've got new Music coming out um, each month leading up to the release of the record. So for anybody that's listening that has enjoyed the two songs that we put out, we've got you know three more songs coming out before the actual album drops in January. So there's some exciting stuff on the horizon there. But you know, it's we were kind of in a funky position. Um, even though Jake and I have been friends and making music together for a long time, we were in a funky position where we put our debut record out you know, in October, November 2019, um, and then did a big U.S. headline full country in Canada tour in January, February, March of 2020, all the way right up till we played Savannah Stopover in Savannah, Georgia, right when the pandemic really hit and everything kind of, you know, collapsed. And so we really only had a few months to really push our, our debut album and I, I think, you know, we had also moved to two different cities right before the pandemic thinking, man, we live on the road. We're totally alive, man. We, mm-hmm. You know, it's what everything's about. And then all of a sudden there was, you know, an inability to just kind of be neighbors and, and working on music intimately. So the first few months of the pandemic, I mean, we I, we were just kind of starting to write new material, sending things back and forth on the internet um we did a few writing sessions in both richmond and nashville and i I think the the main thing that changed for us for this record and one of the big things that started to come up was you know this feeling of all right this isn't going to be an album that's crafted in front of people this isn't going to be an album where it comes to life um on the stages and clubs throughout the country it's going to be an album that comes to life in the studio and on our first record I think we were trying to be a little bit, we were trying to really showcase what our live sound was. Um, We didn't go too heavy handed in production. We didn't go too heavy handed into overdubs. Um, And then on this new record, we just wanted to embrace the studio and just find a new sound and a new voice within the studio. And so what that meant was some more songs that were, maybe written on piano or synth that was then kind of reinterpreted for, for our live sound. So like, for example, the song that just came out heaven bends um, a couple of weeks ago, really the first half of it is more of like a sort of like programmed, even like dance feel with some synth stuff and some cool little production tweaks. And then the back half of it is like this, like raw, very much like our grunge side. So a lot of this record was embracing the studio and and just kind of leaning into the weight and the heaviness of the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, we ended up recording about 80% of it in Richmond, Virginia. And then throughout the pandemic, Jake bought a house that came with a studio in the backyard. And then I built a studio in my backyard. And so we both used our home studios um, to add some really cool textures and things like that. Um, so the record, I think, you know, overall it was about embracing the studio, just doing something that we loved and just finding new sounds that we thought were really captivating. And also just kind of taking creative control and just and just using our own spaces that we built and that we inhabit. And and um so yeah, that's a little bit of the the backstory.
1: Do you think this album would have been birthed had it not been for the pandemic? Because I mean, you were saying you would have been on the road otherwise. Right.
2: I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I know an album would have been birthed, but I look at, you know, I have like a running list, um, on my phone of just like song ideas that we're working on riffs, blah, blah, blah. And when we're together and we're, you know, and just kind of jamming things become a little bit more riff based, you know, and it's a little Mm -hmm. bit more guitar drum bass centric. And then when we kind of break off, you know, that's when we start to experiment and maybe say all right well let's take take a like let's just start somewhere else. And so a, a new record would have come had the pandemic not hit, but it wouldn't have been this one and we're really happy with it.
1: Do you think it would have been more if the pandemic had not happened, do you think your your next album would have been more in line with your debut album where it would have been more road tested, it would have been written on the stage and that way do you think it would have sounded a little bit more like that?
0: It probably it probably would have had some of that in it um but i i feel like it i don't know we were we were definitely already ready for something new and i think whatever whatever happened would it would have been different from the first the first was sort of like a collection of songs that we had written over five years and the ways that it got tied together was was more of like taking all of those songs and then trying to record them kind of all at the same time or close you know within the same few months and that sort of sonically tied them together but the writing was a span of five years. Whereas for a second album, you know, that it's usually what's so hard about it for bands is like a sophomore album is you know, your whole life you're writing for your first album and then all of a sudden somebody's like, go write your second album. And you're kind of that's why it can be a little, you know, it, it at least shows that th- something different comes out when you really just focus on a period of time. So yeah, I think I think what came out is is uh what came out of that era for us i'm way more excited about than our first record and maybe it's just because everybody i I love the new thing everybody you know every artist is probably thinks their their newest song is the best one but just the the way that we spent time on it and shaped it into something that feels really cohesive like it's a it's a record that it's 40 minutes or so and i think it's the kind of thing you uh, you put on and listen all the way through and it has a an arc to it and but it's you know, you can still just pull a song out of it and be like, oh, this one's my favorite. It's not like super cinematic or something. Uh, it's, it's still just song after song after song. But it just to me, it feels like one body of work. And, and that's something that I'm really excited about.
1: I want to kind of touch on something you said about the sophomore album is, you know, that's another rock and roll cliche is the sophomore slump you see with so many bands. Yeah. Were you all aware? Were you all consciously aware of that as you were writing this album? Was that something that you just didn't care about? How did you all approach that in any way?
0: Honestly I think starting starting out the writing process we were both a little stressed and just how how to do it and and we had changes going on in the like background of of our band and and what label we were working with and and the pandemic hitting and so there was just a lot of those stressors and I think when we finally like sat down to pick the songs that we were going to record for this it was very much a decision to to pull the stress off and just be like what the, the stress that we're lumping on to ourselves of like, oh, we got to work with the biggest producer or the like this time frame or this studio. Or the, and, and it has to sound like this and has to be, then this, this has to have a hit on it. Like, you know, are we writing radio hits and that sort of thing? Once we kind of like step back from all that and we're just like, man, it's like, screw that. Like, <laughs> like that's not helping at all. We're going to work with the, the studio and the producer that we love. And that's from our you know, from Richmond, Virginia, where uh, we've recorded some before, but this guy, Adrian Olson, he's just been a long-term friend and really has helped shape some of our recorded sound er early on in this band. And we just were like, all right, we're going back to him. We're going to work with like him, his partner, Alex, and a friend of ours, Danny from our hometown, Harrisonburg. And we're basically just going to build a little team and do this as a unit. And um, in a lot of ways that helped both of us kind of shed the like this is a super stressful we ha- this has to be perfect and it was just like all right like i'm so excited to be doing this with the people that i care about and in a way that we really love and in a studio we love and that that for me reduced the the you know pressure stress and and allowed there to be like the creative stress of like like oh like this is our chance to do something really awesome what are we going to do and that that becomes more excitement so that that was i think how we kind of like rotated around that
2: i'll also just add too i mean just just being very realistic and and sober-minded about like our our kind of growth as a band like i i don't think that our first record you know it wasn't like it was like this gold record where it was then like the the bar was so high that the sophomore album it's like destined for failure we were like oh yeah the first record's great and there's some real gems on there and and there's things that we worked really hard on and then but we we. just we're not really in that vein where the, the sophomore slump is going to kill us because, you know, Mm -hmm. we're still, I really feel like we as a band, each album, which I can say that with a little bit of confidence because we're now working on the third album. Um, I feel like is, is just kind of getting keeps getting better and better. And there's like more cool stuff that we're, you know, kind of walking into, And so I I feel like there's some bands out there, you know, I don't know, this is a funny example, but like third eye blind, like their first record was just like massive as like a few humongous hits a few years later, they put out like blue, still a cool record, but like not nearly as, as, you know, there were so many bands in the 90s where it was like the first record was everything. Then they, and I think we're just operating with a totally different paradigm. I mean, we're, we're just like, we, we take more of a, you know, blue collar like working man's attitude to to what we do and we're not really looking for overnight success we're we're trying to just make every show really awesome and we're and we're just trying to find songs that feel good in the moment so yeah so i think that's that was a little bit of where our heads were at as well
1: that's i'm reading Stephen hyden's new pearl jam book that just came out a couple weeks ago oh
2: i've wanted i've wanted to get that it's
1: really good i'm i'm pretty close to being done with it and it's really fantastic but that's the thing that the kind of overarching theme is about how 10 just kind of screwed up that band in so many ways that it just set this unreal precedent for a lot of their career and it really set them in a lot of turmoil and what i'm hearing from you guys is that because you didn't have a 10 for your first album and let's be honest who does have a 10 for their first album, like? this is opening you all up to a lot of creative freedom and how you move forward. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I feel like that's the way, and it, and, and listen, like we're not like sitting here actively trying not to write, you know, there's nothing like that, but it's just kind of, you know, we're, we're very aware songwriters, but yeah, our primary goal isn't, isn't just to have like the biggest, I don't know. It's, it's a different beast being in a literate light with the two of us and with the nature of the music industry these days. And I mean, things still blow up but you know i I don't know it's it's different that like i don't i think that that grunge explosion was like probably the last era of like just Mm -hmm. rock and roll just kind of like bands kind of just shooting up to the top and and records selling like crazy you know early 2000s there was there was still like big waves of that as well like strokes and killers and stuff and the foos have always kind of done their thing, but I don't know what bands like turnstiles blowing up right now, but they've been on the road for 12 years. You know, they've been putting out music since like 2010, 2011. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know. I don't know who that happens to in rock and roll anymore.
1: Well, and that's one thing I want to talk about, you know, especially Heaven bends. like, that's a pretty heavy song. I mean, like in heavy and it's kind of odd that heavy or music, is having a little mm-hmm. bit of a resurgence with bands like Turnstile and stuff. But at the same time, the overall narrative yeah. is, you know, heavy music has died. It's in the past, but we're seeing a resurgence of it. So can was that something that kind of played in your mind when you were writing that? or was I
2: think there's two things I'd mention to that. Cause I, I often think about too, I'm like, I wonder, you know, I don't know if like critics are saying this, but I, I sometimes feel like some of the heavier music in the mainstream is, is, kind of dead as well. And I don't know if it's because like I look at even my own listening habits. If I'm working out or doing something really active, you know, I love like heavier music. Um, But there's so many times where, where, you know, we as music listeners now are just kind of listening to things like passively in the background. If you're cooking, you know, it's like a lot of times you're going for something kind of vibey or chill. And there's so much passive mm-hmm. chill music listening that's happening these days that that's kind of that's that's kind of the vibe for a lot of folks but i think as far as the decision to go heavy on this record it's really just always been the essence of what we've been about we just we didn't really know i mean me in the studio on the first record i was still just learning how to you know use big distor like i wasn't really using like the big distortions and stuff that i i love I was just, you know, I was still just kind of figuring out our studio chops. And on this new album, it was just like, screw it. Like we've, we're, we've grown, you know, like there's new guitars, there's new amps and we know how to really just dial in. So I, I don't think there was like this conscious moment where we are like, let's go heavy. It was just kind of like, we've been heavy for a long time and now we're figuring out how to capture that.
0: Oh, that's, I'm, I'm all about that. I think we've, we, Jeff and I have always loved heavy music. Um, And that's kind of some of the music that we connected on when we first got together and started talking about bands we liked and stuff and heavy and weird. And um, and yeah, it's just kind of like the it's coming through in new ways now. And and um, I'm happy, happy about that.
1: Well, that's one thing that I mean, especially with your first album, it's just the two of you, but you have a very massive sound. I mean, it sounds like a lot more players are in the room. And, you know, especially y'all leaning more into your production on these, these new songs that I've heard so far, how are you going to replicate that live? I mean, it sounds like you have 18 people in the room playing with you. How do you replicate that?
2: Yeah, we've got our own little, you know, tricks and things up our sleeve. Um, It's important for us to mention that, like, yeah, at this point, you know, and as far as we're concerned with the way we see the band going, like everything is happening live and in the moment in our shows um everything that we're doing that you come and see live is just it's we've you know we've got a couple little things that we trigger and sample and stuff like that but you know it's 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 a little bit of the the playing my playing style you know when we're jamming on something I'm I'm trying to fill out the space you know and so just the way that we you know I'm playing bass with my feet and then the way I'm playing a lot of the guitar stuff with big open tunings and I just bought a Marshall off of a uh, Luther Dickinson from the North Mississippi all-stars. Oh, cool. So I just bought his touring app from that he used from 2001 to 2020. Um, and so it's a nice big, you know, just guitar wise, things are kind of beefing up, but you know, it's like a lot of, uh, a lot of what we do and the way we write, there's just little finger picky things and just little I don't know, tricks that we have to always kind of fill out the space. Believe it or not, sometimes it's harder for us to get small than it is to get big because sometimes you just want to overcompensate because there's just two of us up there. And so it's like, man, it's gotta get big. It's gotta get big. And we've figured out how to do that. And now I think half the time we're trying to figure out, all right, how can we be like really small and kind of chill? And then that'll bring some contrast to those really big moments uh, so that's what a lot of what we're dialing in on this, this tour that we just did. And, and the next four weeks, when we go out on the West coast, that's one thing that we're working on for reason, It's a, it's a question we always get. It's like, how do you get so big? And I'm always just like, I honestly just like, it seems natural for some yeah. reason.
1: Well, that's, I was wondering how much of the drums factor into this big sound. I mean, that's what I think of when I think of big sounds, is especially the eighties, the, like the big drum sounds is a lot of what made like, have, like Def Leppard, what they were like, Jake, what do you think about that? Like, what's, what's your take on that?
0: I mean, I think there's a big difference in, in like how to artistically do a recording and then do a live show. Um, the, the drums, the, the less, that's around the drums, you know, like like just if you listen to just a recording of a drum set, that's always when the drums sound the biggest and the coolest, and then you layer stuff on top of uh, on top of it, and it makes a song, and that's but it yeah, it's like what can you strip away to to let those drums really blossom but the uh i would say like the live the thing that we approach differently than than I think a lot of other bands, and it, it, to me it just feels like more of like I don't know what I grew up on, but it, it Letting the live performance be be its own thing, N- not like there's so much attention to detail in recording, and most bands right now are recording first and then coming out and playing music, and so th- this whole concept of like, yeah, we want the the live version to be as close to the recording as possible, and I just feel like that's never been Jeff and I's approach, um and part of what that means is like there's some there's some parts missing live that that I, I think the energy of the room and of a, grou- a group of people and of the experience, I, I honestly think it amplifies that, you know, the, the fact that there's something missing or like, you don't know what's, even if you know the mm-hmm. song, you don't know what's coming next. And the fact that Jeff and I will take our pretty normal, you know, songs that we write and record. And then on any given show, something will happen and we'll, we'll change in the instant. And there's only two of us and we follow each other really well. So it's like, you know, today, you know, we, we're playing Carolina Lorelei, but it, it's going really fast and, and it's way heavier. And then tomorrow it's going to be really chilled mm-hmm. out. And like one fan might come to both shows and and have totally different experiences. And so really, like the to me, the dynamics of the show, both mm-hmm. volume, you know, like we get we have totally acoustic moments of the set where it's like we sometimes unplug entirely or sing into just one microphone. And then the next thing we do is like the loudest thing we can possibly think to do. And um and then yeah, just the like the dynamic of being in person and what well, you know, the that, that's that's what I feel like makes a show feel big is just like <laughs> if if there's those changes. If it's just also you could just be big the whole time and that's its own thing. I, I absolutely love just like I don't know, like grungy basement diy house show kind of stuff where it's like the band brings in half stack amps into a room that is like barely big enough to stand up in and just 15 20 minutes straight of like the loudest thing you've ever heard that's its own world that i really love but (laughs) i think we play with the dynamic a bit more
2: yeah now that we're doing longer sets and stuff that was kind of our approach for like a bunch of years was like every show was 30 minutes and so it was just like just a dead sprint loud as can be super fast and heavy for 30 minutes. And then now, you know, like headlining a lot of nights, we'll do 60 or 75 minute shows. And so we're really finding dynamic moments and acoustic songs and then really heavy. And, but I was just thinking about, so we were just on the road for the last five weeks and then we've had a few nights off here, um, me and Virginia and Jake in Nashville. And I sat in with some friends um, at the rock club at the end of my street the other night and they were doing like a kind of like a middle school prom um sort of like vibe night like covers basically but everybody in town was there. It was a great time it's a college town and so we played a bunch of covers and we played uh oasis what's not what's the story morning glory um champagne supernova it was really fun and people were digging it and stuff and then last night um my brother-in-law who we played the show together we were hanging out just like Chilling. And I was like, dude, have you ever watched Oasis interviews? Like, they're so funny, man, we got to pull some up. So we're just like YouTube rabbit hole in it. And, um, and we found this clip of Oasis in 1996 playing in Manchester, like stadium crowd, just tons of people. And they're playing champion supernova. And I swear they played it like 40 BPM, like fast. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like so much faster. It was like, where were you while we were getting high. Someday you will find me company. It was like, it almost was like crazy, but the, you could hear the crowd like singing over top of the band. Like everybody was so into the moment. And I was like, this kind of just sounds like bad and way worse than the record. But like, it's a really cool, really cool moment. And they're just a live band just doing their thing.
1: Well, that's one thing that I want to talk to you. I've only seen you guys once and you were, I'm not going to say the headliner, but you were, you were the middle act on the show and you absolutely blew out the headliner. I mean, just absolutely crushed them there. I have not seen very many openers do that. Uh, It's, it seems like something that's very passe now to kind of be respectful of the headliner. But I mean, that's an old rock and roll cliche. Like I read Alice Cooper's biography and he was talking about how he just wanted to go out and crush every single person that he opened for, you know, is that something you guys strive for is to crush the openers and do just, you know, put on that great show or how do you all approach that?
2: Honestly? Yes. And I mean, and I, I feel like very much, you know, honored and not offended when the opening bands that we take out, take the same approach Absolutely. and it's, and everybody's Tony's, you know, it's like, there's nothing going, there's no animosity at all, but you just know I'm walking out on this stage to a few thousand people that probably don't know me and aren't here for me. Um, and it's yeah. my job to, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by Jake's Zoom feature. Is there, I don't know going. it's amazing. People listening to this are probably like, what are you guys talking about? But is there any chance you could turn it off? Or <laughs> I, I've uh, tried.
0: I, I can't figure it out. I, I'm on okay. my iPad. But... All right. Oh, no wait, worries. hold on. No, no worries. I think I, I think I got it. There you go. Oh, great, great, great. <laughs> Sorry, it's, like... <laughs> it's called turn off center stage for everyone listening and you're on your okay. iPad.
2: There, there
3: we go.
1: go.
2: But anyways, you know, and it's, uh, and that's, and that's, and the, the, the bands that are headlining, you know, they've worked really hard to build a fan base and get to where they're at. And when we, as the opener come out and just deliver a really good show they always rise up to the occasion too. So like I said, it's, it's not this competitive animosity sort of thing, but it is very much like, yeah, we're coming out with a bit of a chip on our shoulder and we just want to just like completely, you know, tear the room apart. To me, it's just a better show.
0: Like I'm going to put on the best show we can do. And like when we headline, we have openers, the people that put on the best show that they possibly can like big thumbs up. Like if somebody puts on a, a great opening show for us it just kicks our ass to to want to like one up them and that's just better for everybody and i i sort of like i hope more and more we you know or, you know we already have but like anybody that we open for i just want them to like yeah see what we're doing and be like all right killer like i'm pumped i mean like this crowd is super warmed up and excited and we're gonna go out and and everybody's there to see them so they're like all you have to do is like sing your hit song and the, cra- the crowd is yours at that point but yeah i'm all about that I, th- I think it's it's just a fun experience when when you see that and some of my favorite shows of my whole whole you know young life uh were watching opening bands so uh tv on the radio was my favorite band in high school and i went to see them at the 930 club in dc one of my favorite places uh right up front and yeah uh, Dirty Projectors opened for them, had never heard of them before. They had that day put out an album, Biddle Orca, that then later became my favorite album and my favorite band. And But their opening set was just raw and insane. And like you could feel the energy in the entire place change when they started playing right off the bat. And it was like some of those experiences for me where I was like, okay, like nobody knows this band. I don't know this band, but now I'm hooked forever. And like that made me want to do Live music as my as my life, I was just like, I want that experience. I want to be able to like walk on onto a stage, not have anybody know me have no respect, and then like just show up and and catch everybody and so uh, that that's it's cool that you saw us in that way because that that is like a really meaningful experience in my life. um so it's cool to know that it translated a little.
1: Oh, it definitely did. I mean that's like I said, it's one of the handful of times that I've actually seen one of the openers just absolutely blow off the headliner i mean the headliner was terrible in comparison really and truly and i've seen the headliner a ton of times uh so i mean it really was an impressive feat but that's one thing i want to as we kind of start to wrap up i wanted to talk about one thing i I was just curious about this since you are a duo what do band dynamics look like you know i think about with a band that has five or six members if you get mad at the singer you can go hang out with the bass player you know and stuff like that but with just the two of you how, how do you handle that what i mean it seems like you'll have a pretty good friendship but how do you handle, you know, differences and opinions and, you know, egos that are bound to pop up? How do you handle that?
2: It's funny. Cause you, you know, just kind of tangential to that real quick. Like we're about to go out with um, our good friends, future birds for most of the Southwest and a lot of the West coast. And I was thinking like for, for those guys, you know, there's seven or eight dudes in the band and then they have a, a tour manager with them and, and a front of house as well. And it's like, they can splinter off even if they split in half on the road. They're still with mm-hmm. like five people. That crew can split mm-hmm. in half again. Like they can splinter like four times before they're actually just like kind of out alone doing their thing. And for Jake and I, it's, it's been funny because on the travel side, you know, touring is, is a blast and, and traveling is great. Um, but it's funny cause like, if we, if we like break off, like all of a sudden you're just kind of like out solo, like exploring like a city, which I, like, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like very, very quickly can lose some of that, um, camaraderie, but you know, it's, it's funny. We, we've definitely, we, we've a few months ago we had, or, or a couple months ago, we just had a big sit down just talking about like the new record and energy that we're both bringing into our lives post pandemic i i think we both felt like um we've both changed a bit since the pandemic and and there's a real just i don't know excitement and curiosity and funness going into starting to write and record the th- third album um but yeah so we were just we sat down for a few hours just like all right how are we doing you know like this is this is going really great and this element over here is sucks and is painful for me and you know and just just kind of you know we we come from a community that just really valued processing stuff and and talking through things and 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 we've tried to hold on to that in our professional life um and in our creative life and so yeah it, it's it's one of those things where it's just like any other Relationship, it's just you know, we, you have to kind of make a little bit of space to try to come back to what's important and and to be gentle and tender with each other in the midst of a really you know to be honest in the midst of a really stressful and kind of crazy industry. And so we yeah we we try to just at least I do I I I mean both of us we just try to come back to the core thing. I find that when we tour and when we're playing shows, there is a real natural, like conflicts resolve themselves really naturally. (laughs) Um, They just, I don't know, you're kind of on the go and the music heals a lot of things. And then when there's these big moments where we're not touring and stuff, it's when life kind of starts to move in different directions. and, And I feel like that's where we experienced some tension.
1: Well, it's interesting. I want to I want to touch on that because uh, in Dave Grohl's book, he was talking about how after Nevermind blew up and they were on tour, they were talking about how close of a clan they were and they were so tight as a unit. And then when tour was over, they all went their separate ways and went home. And when they got back together for the next album, they were saying there was just, he said there was just this disconnect and they didn't know each other anymore. And they were they were so fractured in that. And so I mean, is that is that something? So that's kind of what you're saying is like the time apart is actually harder than the time together.
2: Yeah. And of course the time apart is essential. You know, there's kind of no way around Mm -hmm. any of this. It's just, and also, you know, you're, we're people are grown men and it's like, you're, you know, got wives and mortgages and things like that. So you go home and you're, you know um, yeah. Doing all that side of things, but yeah, I don't know. we, We haven't had anything that's, come between us like we've never (laughs) gotten a fist fight oh that's disappointing Uh, you know we've never some rock and roll i know we've got some stuff to work towards um (laughs) but you know it's it's and yeah there's there's been like i don't know i don't even think we've ever even like just i think there's been times where we've been really pissed at each other and have had to like address that or also just realize that we misread a situation or something um But, you know, I don't like we've never walked off stage and just been like, dude, you a whole like it's never it's just like, I think we've really tried to center it on, you know, some of just relationship 101, giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, it's it's I don't know. I don't really know if we could healthily or easily bring other people into it. We don't really want to um, as far as other musicians or bandmates. You said it earlier, like as a duo, there's
0: there's nothing to hide behind live like if if one of us messes up it's obvious who it is you know and i think that's the that that translates well into just our relationship as humans too it's like there isn't a third band member that that we can team up on the other guy and make something happen or or like get you know feel left out from it's like if if i feel left out it's just because jeff needs some alone time or you know it's it's pretty clear what's happening so yeah we just we're just able to uh, kind of ride that out and, and and work through things. I think we're both pretty clear on the need to like address conflict as it comes up in a way that's slow and healthy and gives the other person some space to talk. So yeah, that's, that's not maybe the rock and roll cliche, but I think it's, it's uh, the only thing that keeps our mental health and, and uh, yeah, just friendship alive by doing this, this, probably like 10 to 12 years of Jeff and I working together on different things, so pre- pretty vital.
2: It's it's like our our issues that come up, you know, uh, like I, I'm fully aware that like they're, they're pretty, ultimately they're pretty soft issues. Like we don't sleep around, mm-hmm. we don't F each other's wives, we split all of our money right down the middle, and you know, like we work hard at what we do. And you look at most bands and there's no drug addictions in the band. And so it's like, you look at like the history of rock and it's like, that's usually the issue is like people effing each other, money issues and addictions. And so like when you kind of cut all like the big head, like those are all like, in my mind, kind of like boring and played out issues, you know, like life is dramatic enough. Mm Um, and, and yeah. And so I just, I, I hate that side of drama like i don't want anything to do with that you know and i grew up with my uncle uh steve was the drummer for the black crows and so i grew up seeing that that side of their band and and as i've gotten older and i just can't imagine going on stage with you know jake strung out on heroin (laughs) you know like that's insane like and that's the way a lot of rock bands have existed and 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 so, yeah, so we just we keep our issues very, very minimal and uh, and try to focus on the music. And, you know, I think because of that, we're both like pretty, pretty happy dudes.
1: So my my last question, you know, it's it's what are your plans for 2023 and what's coming up for the band? But I mean, based on that last answer. It sounds like you have some rock and roll cliches that you can start working towards if you really want to make it. I mean, if you want to make a really good biography one day, it sounds like you got to add some drama. sounds like somebody needs yeah, to get a good yeah, heroin exactly. next year. Like, you know, somebody's wife, you know, somebody's got to start mixing things up here. You know, you all are a little too healthy for my taste. Like, this is going to be a pretty short biography, guys. Do you have
0: a good heroin guy you can connect
2: me with? Uh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> It's funny, man. Yeah.
1: So I mean, even just go like a, do like a Sid Barrett route. Just do too much acid, get spun out, write the album about him. Like, gotta, gotta you go. mix it up a little there bit, man. Go.
2: Yeah, it's so, funny, like, man. It's like, cause you, cause you know, kind of back on that point, it's like, uh, I heard Jerry Seinfeld talk on a podcast not long ago, talking about the early days of, you know, they did nine or 10 seasons, which was like crazy back then. and And people were asking hmm. about that. And there is this the, you know, and we all love that rock and roll side of things. That's just that's yeah, we that's what we expect. But like even, you know, take Dave Grohl's autobiography. And like he he saw all the crazy shit it, you know, in the first punk band that he was in, uh Fear. No, wait, not Fear, um, yeah, Fear. And then uh and then obviously everything that went down with Nirvana, but like, you know, for me, like his when he talks about and I don't think I'm going to be, well, what's the word? I'm going to give away part of the book right now. But, you know, like later in the mid 2000s, when he talks about having a big breakdown, it was from essentially workaholism and caffeine addiction. And, you know, that's very different than like mega, mega drug addiction and all that sort of stuff. And so I looked at his, my, my King right now is Bruce Springsteen and i'm listening to his autobiography for the second time and he he has a very a very similar approach which is like you know the the drama of my life is played out in the songs and not in my personal life and i really hold to that cuz i'm i'm not looking for that but the music is going to be crazy the shows are going to be crazy that's where i'm going to leave everything on the table and so i know there's those artists out there that you know, have made amazing music and have also lived lives where, you know, they haven't thrown it all away and um, die young.
1: But to the to the to the Springsteen point, the music is what people connect to. I mean, you're like the Motley Crue stories are fun. Yeah. And, you know, watching a silly movie about it is a good way to pass a couple hours. But like at the end of the day, if I'm looking for something to touch my soul, I'm going to listen to Bruce Springsteen albums, not a Motley Crue album. Exactly. And that's ultimately the goal of what y'all are doing.
2: That's exactly it. Yeah.
1: So, okay. So last question, I'll wrap it up. I know we're kind of going over. Uh, So what's on, what's on deck for you guys. So you're writing another album, you got another album coming out, you're touring. Tell me what, tell me what's coming up.
2: 2023. Yeah. So the the new record comes out January of 2023. We're going to be touring that album really heavily. Um, I know we're starting to um, look at a bunch of festivals for next year. And so, yeah. And that's, that's our favorite way to be able to bring a record to life, you know, is to be able to go out and, Mm-hmm. And play it live, um, and, and make new memories with it. Um, so we'll be tour- touring the whole country for sure. And then, yeah, this December and January, we're we're holing up and spending some time at Jake's studio in Nashville and my studio here in in uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia, and starting to write and record a new record. You know, it's it's I feel very focused in what we do right now. I don't feel like there's a whole lot that I want to do other than write music and tour. And and that's, you know, it's like, I got a couple of hobbies outside of that, but I think that's what's on the agenda for Illiterate Light is just really, really creating new music and feeling like that's what we're passionate about right now.
1: Crank crank forward. Well, guys, I appreciate you joining the show. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking. Yeah, with you. This has been wonderful. Best of luck in uh, your heroin addictions <laughs> and all your infighting <laughs> and all that good stuff. I, I wish you the best of luck.
2: Thank you. We need help.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of Yesterday's Concert. Thoughts? Similar experiences? Disagree? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Or you can email us at info at If you're feeling kind, give us a review on Apple Podcast. Otherwise, until next time, give us a subscribe, check out our website, yesterdaysconcert.com, and most importantly, take care of your shoes.